So good morning again. Welcome to Fresh Vision Church. Um, for those of you who are here today, I'm glad to see you, and I hope that the Lord blesses you today. Um, for those who are watching online, I send you a special greeting. Um, those of you who come in but are watching online, we miss you, and we look forward to that time that we can see you again soon. Um, but I send this special greeting just thanking you for joining us today. Um, as I've mentioned several times before, my name is Richard Herod. Uh, my wife, daughters, and I consider Fresh Vision Church to be our church home. And um, we've had the pleasure of being a part of this church family for some time now. We're thankful that the Lord has allowed us to be a part of this fellowship. Um, so as mentioned before, Pastor Angel and his family are away right now. Um, they're well, they send their greetings, and they'll be back soon. So in anticipation for their absence, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Angel had asked me to share a message in his absence this morning. Um, as he was asking me to share this message, he asked me to specifically pray about some of the things that were going on in the world today and um, what the Lord was laying on my heart regarding those matters. So as I went into that process of prayer and preparing for today, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 came to my heart. And so I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you, and it's found in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament, um, towards the end of the Bible. But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For this, of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jeans and Jambray resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly shall be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, matter of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for um, giving us this opportunity to explore your word today and to engage in this um, period of worship by going through your word. I just ask that you fill us with your wisdom and that you guide us as we um, go through these verses, that you open up our hearts so that way we can learn and understand what it is that you have for us today. 
Father God, we ask that if there's anyone who's viewing or who's in presence who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you, that they would have the opportunity to hear your gospel so that way they can become a part of your family, they can become your child, and they can follow you for the rest of their days. And so, Father God, we just ask that you take this moment of time and that you use it as you see fit and that you allow us to experience what it is that you have for us. We love you and we praise you, Father God. We lift up this time to you. We ask that you um, navigate it and that you... Um, orchestrated in a way that brings you the most glory. And we lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen. So that passage of scripture has a lot to say about the last days. So before we begin, please allow me just to provide a brief introduction of the historical background behind the book of 2 Timothy. So according to the commentary in the open Bible, 2 Timothy is one of three pastoral epistles that the apostle Paul had written to both Timothy and, and Titus, who were church leaders at the original time of writing. It's believed that the Apostle Paul was older when God inspired him to write these pastoral epistles. Um, God inspired the Apostle Paul to write these epistles to encourage, to inform, to warn, and guide the young church leaders to whom these letters were originally addressed. The Apostle Paul wrote this particular epistle to Timothy, a young church leader who was in Ephesus around AD 67, while he was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. So it is believed that the Apostle Paul began teaching Timothy when the Apostle Paul was in Lystra, and Timothy served along with Paul in many places. He was with Paul during his first imprisonment, and he was left in Ephesus to supervise the work there. So while Timothy was believed to be somewhat sickly, timid, and youthful, he was understood to be trustworthy, diligent, and he understood scripture. All during this time, Nero was the emperor of Rome. Christians were not treated well during Nero's reign, to say the least. So with everything going on, the apostle Paul anticipated a time of growing apostasy and wickedness, um, when men and women would become increasingly susceptible to empty religion and false teaching, and arrogance and godlessness would breed further, would breed further deception and further persecution. So, so this writing was used by the Apostle Paul originally to provide words of encouragement to Timothy to stand firm in the gospel, to provide doctrinal reminders, and to address thanklessness, selfishness, pride, self-love, and a general lack of gratefulness, among other sins. So in all of this, the Apostle Paul was stressing the importance of Scripture and how it's crucial in combating evil and error, because Scripture is true. So having said that, um, I believe it's important to note that, th that chapter 3 of 2 Timothy focuses on the Apostle Paul's anticipation of this growing level of apostasy and wickedness in the world um, in the last days before Christ's return. And within this chapter, we are given a glimpse of what our response should be when we face such perils. Referring to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, we're reminded that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we as Christians are waiting for Christ's return. As far as when it'll happen, that's up to the Lord. Um, we are reminded of his return many times throughout the New Testament. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44 reminds us to also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. What we do know, however, is that when the Apostle Paul refers to the last days, he was referring to that time, that, uh, that period of time before Christ returns. Um, Warren Wearsby describes the last days as a beginning with the ministry of Jesus Christ, continuing until he returns. He references Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 to justify his description of the last days, which says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed all things. Matthew Henry echoes this thought as he describes the last days as gospel times. So let's go ahead and take a look at this chapter, and we'll start at verse 1. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul begins this letter to Timothy by saying that perilous times will come during the last days. So we as Christians know that Jesus will return and that prior to his, his return, perilous times will come. And these perilous times consist of unprecedented dangers and harm. Um, they can be described as hard times, dangerous times, difficult times, times of trouble, and times of great stress. So one might ask, what makes these times hard? And specifically, the fallen and sinful nature of man, this fallen world, and Satan's use of all of this to keep people from experiencing the joy that comes from the Lord is what makes these times hard. We're reminded that sin has consequences and it yields ugly results. The Apostle Paul gives several examples within this passage of what he was anticipating in the next couple of um, verses. So in verse 2, he describes what people will be like during the hard times that he's anticipating. Um, he identifies several characteristics that will be prevalent. They include people that hold themselves in a self-worshipping way. In some cases, this self-focus can turn into self-importance and develop into an expectation that people believe that others must serve them or that others need to hold them up on a pedestal. This may lead to prideful behavior, manipulation, coercion, mistreatment, or even victimization. This may also lead to others who overlook the needs of others and feel that they are more important than other people, and this may lead to, um, to those who believe that they are entitled to certain treatment while others are not. This may lead to situations where one believes that their own thoughts and their own ideas are the only thoughts and ideas that matter. We know that love of self, is not as it's described, is not of God. We know that chap James chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us for where every where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 reminds us, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation and wrath. So that's just one characteristic that the Apostle Paul had described regarding perilous times and the people during those times. So within verse 2, he starts talking about lovers of money. Now, money itself is not bad. Money is a tool that the Lord provides so people can accomplish his purposes. The Lord can bless some people with money, and um, he blesses some people with money so that way they can use that money to do his will. The Lord uses money circumstances in other people's lives to inspire deeper levels of faith 
or to even help people to avoid certain situations or to grow in their ability to trust in him. However, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have stayed straight away from the faith. Those who are true lovers of money as opposed to worshiping the Lord, they worship money. I once heard a missionary to Thailand um, speaking during his deputation, and he said that when he was in Thailand on the mission field, there were, there were many evidences of false gods throughout that area of Asia. Um, he said that he saw people worshiping statues, animals, and evil spirits. And as he observed all of this, he said that he had to be careful because when he returned to North America, he saw that Americans had false gods too. People hoarded money, used it to bring pleasure, used it to make themselves important, and trusted it to provide security for all their needs instead of trusting the Lord. Now, Luke chapter 16, verse 13 reminds us that Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. So lovers of money are worshiping money as opposed to worshiping the Lord in the sense that they are relying on it to provide them with their security and their sense of peace. The Apostle Paul continues in this verse um, of our passage, and he speaks about boasters. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, boasters boast, brag, vaunt, crow to express pride in oneself or one's accomplishment. Boasting used in this context often suggests ostentation, exaggeration, and glorifying oneself. We know that this quality itself is not one that glorifies God. Um, Psalm chapter 10, verse 3 says that the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces or spurns the Lord. So, in this passage, the word pride is used. I think it's important to say that as we're following the Lord, and as we're doing the things that he's asked us to do, and when we are in his will, that when we're happy with that result... Some people might call that being proud of that result. That is more focused on the Lord and not necessarily a bad thing. But when it becomes something that someone is making a Lord of themselves or they feel better than others, that's where it becomes something that's not very good. So the Apostle um, Paul describes iniquity. He um, indicated that um, those who trust in their wealth boast in the multitude of their riches but cannot by any means redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for them. And there's a lot of truth in that. Um, we trust in the Lord because we do need him to save us, and we do need him to carry us throughout our days. Continuing in verse 2, the Apostle Paul describes blasphemers who speak about and speak to God in an irreverent manner. Uh, this includes lies about what God tolerates, about what people believe God owes us, and about how truthful God's word really is. So this in itself is a characteristic of false teachers. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 reminds us of the depravity of false teachers who speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Other characteristics that the Apostle Paul speaks about in this verse are those who are disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. Warren Wiersbe shines light on the fact that this apostasy reaches into the family as children are unthankful and do not appreciate what their parents have done for them. They are unholy in their attitude toward their parents, 
and described as being profane in their disrespect. So moving on to verse 3, the Apostle Paul describes family relationships of those who are in peril. He describes them as unloving, and those in peril will lie and be argumentative and untruthful to maintain benefit of their own self-seeking position. A lack of self-control results in sin, and oftentimes that sin impacts others in a very negative way. So verse 4, the Apostle Paul describes behaviors amongst those who are in peril who don't get their way, or they, um, they become brutal, they become traitors, and they don't maintain commitments, they become stubborn in, in, in planning themselves where they want to be, and they have a desire to fulfill their fleshly pleasures rather than living and existing at the Lord's pleasure. So in verse 5, we see that, churches around, that there are churches around that are claiming, um, godly, uh, claiming godliness, but they're unrepentant in some of their practices that are contrary to the word of God and are thus operating in a way that is indecent and out of order. This has a negative impact on those who gather to honor him because many are deceived and as a result are steered away from a relationship with him. And in some cases, cult situations arise where control and manipulation occur um, by those who are claiming godliness. This destroys people, their families, and their faith. So in verse 5, the Apostle Paul gives us a solution. Turn away from him. In verses 6 and 7 of the passage, the Apostle Paul describes how false teachers come in to create strife and create trouble. Thomas Constable informs us that during the time of writing, false teachers found their way into households by influencing wives who were spiritually weak and dominated by sins. Now, I don't believe that he was speaking of women in a derogatory fashion. Rather, I believe that he was speaking of those false teachers who took advantage of particular women in that society at that time who were of lower social and educational status and who had greater avail availability at the time of this writing so that way these false teachers could accomplish their own purposes out of their own selfishness and their evil agenda. They would teach false teachings and the students, having learned incorrect information, were led further and further and further away from the truth. So this pattern continues to be used by false teachers today and those who are unfamiliar with what the Word of God says are all at risk. So in verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul references magicians um, from the past who, during the plague of Moses' time, had replicated certain miracles that the Lord provided as Moses did what the Lord directed. While their purpose was to create doubt regarding the Lord and his power, there came a point where they could not replicate what the Lord was doing. At that point, their deception was revealed. By referencing these magicians, the Apostle Paul provides a memorable illustration of false teachers who represent ungodliness resulting in destruction. Their denial of truth through all of this deception will eventually be revealed. So in verses 10 through 11, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy that he had turned away from all of those negative examples provided in the chapter, that Timothy had been provided a biblical um, background from his, from his very early childhood, and that he had been following biblical teachings. Um, he had opposed these characteristics that had manifested themselves as a result, and earlier in this chapter, Timothy was described as being trustworthy, diligent, and having a good understanding of Scripture. Timothy's understanding of Scripture was instrumental in his ability to turn away because he knew the truth. So, in this same part of the passage, the Apostle Paul references the Lord's deliverance during hard times that he had faced as a matter of encouragement to continue walking with the Lord. So let's stop here for a moment to examine the practical applications of what we've covered so far. I think we all know that these issues that were described in verses 1 through 11 
are not unique to the times of the Apostle Paul um, ministry while he was here on earth. Um, this particular part of the passage has direct applications to our lives today because we're seeing, about what, we're seeing what Paul wrote about in modern times. The world's full of sin, and there seems to be um, an increased um, sense of lukewarm religion rather than acknowledgement of how great he is. And if it's not lukewarm religion, there are people out there who are purposely misleading people and guiding them down incorrect paths. So as we think about our world right now, we're facing many things that can be described as hard times, difficult times, or even dangerous times. These include, but they're certainly not limited to, personal and family difficulties. We're seeing the difficulties of raising children in a post-Christian world. Any of you out there who have children, work with children, or help others as they raise children can see that today's world is very different than the world that we grew up in, and that the social norms regarding church-friendly structures are rapidly disappearing. We're seeing parents becoming friends with their children to the point that there is no correction or instruction in righteousness, and there is no direction to the correct path in Christ. We're seeing some cases where parents take their cues from parenting from their children, and the family foundation is built upon the wisdom of their children who may not even be into their teens yet. We're seeing levels of depravity in society that have seemingly increased, and they've thus impacted our personal safety. While access to our media has increased our awareness of negative events, we must admit that much of what's happening today would be registered as bizarre, depraved, and unprecedented. We're seeing the world's impact on the sanctity and nature of marriage. Among those that I grew up with, about half have broken marriages, or shells of marriage that are marriages of convenience only. Divorce has become a common solution when reconciliation has become difficult. We look at chronic illness, um, look at COVID-19 and its impact on the human body. Look at mental illness. I truly believe that mental illness left untreated can be quite debilitating. Injuries, abuse. Um, for those of you who don't know, I work in education and I have seen truly the worst of humanity when it comes to how some children are treated. The process of caring for those who are chronically ill in our lives, financial difficulties, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, taking a look at the world, we're experiencing many unique world events that have dramatically changed our lives. The COVID-19 pandemic um, impacted medical systems, global economics, family, educational, social gathering, our personal worship and fellowship, political power structures, and the like. Hate, which has been present for longer than we want to count, is much more easily spread with advancements of technology and communications. Um, right now, America's race problem and racism exposed throughout the nation, there's tension between black and white, those of Arab descent and those from North America, between the various groups of Asian descent, and the list just goes on and on and on. Here in El Paso, there's the English-Spanish debate, the El Paso-Wadis debate. I must say, there are some who would vehemently deny this, even though there is recorded evidence and it is plentiful. Um, there's a renewed social justice movement whose response and result are not mutually liked or accepted by all the unemployment and economic downfall, sharp division across the political divide in our nation, unrest between the nations, corruption, cults, false religion, people who take the Bible out of context and preach a gospel that isn't pure, weather systems that continue to bring mass destruction, those who propose anti-biblical solutions to problems, and they celebrate a departure from God's will, and the list goes on and on. Society is rapidly changing. Things that were not acceptable five years ago are now becoming the norm. Warren Wiersbe says that it appears that evil is deeper and of greater intensity, and that is being accepted and promoted by society in a bolder way. It's not that we have small pockets of rebellion here and there. All of society seems to be in ferment and in rebellion. We are indeed in terrible times. I know that these issues should cause great concern. They are 
things that definitely need to be addressed. However, I personally believe that we can only begin to understand, let alone address these issues, by seeing things from the Lord's perspective. We can only see things from the Lord's perspective when everyone from every side of every single issue understands that they themselves are sinners, that they themselves need a Savior, and that they themselves yield their lives to the Lord as they ask for forgiveness for their sins and accept his gift of salvation so that the Lord can lead their lives and transform them to become more and more like Christ. And even then, transformation takes time. Understanding and seeing things from the Lord's perspective reminds us of the origin of these problems. All of these issues result from being in a broken world. Understanding and seeing things from the Lord's perspective reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden and the generational effects of that sin. Understanding and seeing things from the Lord's perspective reminds us that Satan gladly uses these things to distract us from getting to know the Lord, from experiencing his grace when we, um, real, when we realize we need a Savior, from the joy of following and experiencing the Lord in our lives once we do accept him as Lord and Savior, and from the desire to completely trust him as we follow him no matter what happens while we're here on this earth. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. As I prepared this very message, I found that all of these things we see in the world kept distracting me from focusing on what, is, what it is the Lord has to say about all of this. I am definitely not saying that the suffering that results from, because of these issues is okay. I am definitely not saying that the Lord condones any of these events, injustices, or evil happenings. I personally believe that disobedient sinners sin, and what we see is the impact of their sin. This is why the Lord hates sin and cries for us to repent of our evil ways and to fall at his feet to beg forgiveness so he can lead us the right way. I am definitely not saying the time hasn't come for people to have authentic and honest conversations geared towards change. And I'm definitely not saying there isn't a need for hearts to change so people who are talking during these conversations can communicate freely and desire to benefit the other for the sake of allowing the Lord to use them for that purpose. What I am saying is that I am personally familiar with all of these issues, that I have been personally negatively impacted by these issues, and at certain points in my life, some of these things could describe me and my poor behavior choices. I came to the recognition that the only way that I've been able to cope and walk through all of this is by turning away from it, turning toward the Lord's promises through my faith in Jesus. Through my faith in Jesus, I've been able to turn away from all the things going on in the world and the impact it has on my life by turning toward what the Lord says in his word, what he wanted me to do, and how he wants me to live. Um, in some cases, this was very difficult and required me to seek him as I was humbled more beyond what the Lord would, would view acceptable. There was a specific season in my life where, very, where continual overt discrimination and mistreatment made life very difficult for myself and everyone in my family for the entire season, even though I am through and through and thoroughly convicted that we were in the place that the Lord wanted us to be at that time, and we were completely in his will. I will admit these things angered me. It was unfair. But, my, but by turning my focus away from being angry with all of it and seeking the Lord's wisdom instead, the Lord brought a very courageous pastor and friend and brother in Christ into my life, who I believe the Lord used to remind me to turn to him, to seek him through prayer, and to spend time in his word while going through this season. The Lord used this person to remind me that I'm not alone, and that while he may not fully understand what I was feeling, he pointed me to Christ and reminded me that my relationship with Christ and how I followed him was the absolutely most important thing, especially during perilous times. My brother in Christ was different in appearance to me. 
He's not a perfect person. He was broken too. Sometimes he offended me. Thankfully, the Lord allowed me to remember during my prayers when I was offended. I prayed for him, even though I too am a broken vessel who is saved by grace and sometimes need the reminder that we're all part of one body. So it was much easier to forgive him when I was offended because I knew he loved our Lord and that he truly sought the Lord as he tried to be used to help me in my Christian walk. In the end, I could see that there were times that iron sharpened iron. My brother allowed the Lord's love to flow through him and reminded me that every single person who is different in appearance does not have racist tendencies, but that Satan loves to use these type of things to cause division. My brother reminded me that the Lord wanted me to have a forgiving spirit and to forgive in much the same way the Lord had forgiven me. I have since learned that forgiveness benefits me and keeps me from allowing things to get in the way of following him. So my brother also reminded me to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He had the courage to remind me that these people who had harmed my family and I in various ways knew not what they do. They were either lost, not following the Lord in this area, or were still being transformed by him. My brother had stepped forward at times to let others know that their behavior towards us was not godly, and he had even stepped in during a couple of dangerous situations when people were trying to harm us. My brother had the courage to remind me that I was supposed to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let, let, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I will say this was definitely a trial in my life. I definitely learned patience during this trial. The Lord gave me wisdom to handle this situation. My brother even had the courage to ask me, have you forgiven those who have mistreated you? He personally witnessed many of the ugly things that happened during this season. Once I came to that point where I could forgive those who had mistreated me, forgiveness on my part equipped me for when it was time to take a stand so that I would not sin while taking that stand for righteousness. Forgiveness on my part equipped me to pray for others and their salvation so they could see things from God's perspective, even though their, even though their behavior towards me in the present was completely wrong. So there were other times and other situations that have occurred in my Christian walk where I have been the person who witnessed perilous situations where persecution, ill treatment, or injustice was happening to a brother or sister who was experiencing suffering. Um, as I think about this, I was reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan referenced in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 35. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So as Jesus tells this parable, I think about both the priest and the Levite. While they knew the law, they did not help someone in dire need. I think about the Samaritan's reaction. He saw someone in dire need and he provided assistance. I believe the Good Samaritan knew that it was important to love your neighbor as yourself and that the Good Samaritan did so without regard to the person's background, race, class, etc. I know that a part of our Christian walking includes helping others when they're in need of help. In the same way that my brother helped me when my family and I needed help. In the same way that the Lord used me to help others when they needed help because they were facing hard times. In the same way that the Lord will use you to help others. 
in the same way that you may have to speak against unrighteousness as he's transforming us to become more and more and more like his son. But this is not so we can be glorified. This is, so we can, this is not so we can earn special favor with the Lord or anyone else. This is not the only aspect of our Christian walk. This is something that the Lord uses to glorify himself. I know that the Lord has used his people to address a variety of issues that impact brothers and sisters in Christ. In many of those cases, those who didn't know Christ learned of him because they were given the opportunity to share who he is as they helped others to address their areas of concern. So we will encounter people who don't agree with all of this because of how they're living or because of what they're engaged in um, when the Bible describes it as sinful. Um, we'll be, there will be times where people, other people are being mistreated and we don't view life the way they do, and we may be called on to call out the mistreatment because that mistreatment is unrighteousness, and unrighteousness does not cancel other acts of unrighteousness. So everything I've described is only possible because of the salvation I have from God through Jesus' death on the cross for my sins and his grace in saving me. All of this is only possible because the Lord continues to equip me to lean on him rather than my own understanding. So many years before this specific trial, there came a time where I realized that I was a sinner and that there was absolutely nothing I could do to make up for my own sins. Um, there came a time where I realized I had to personally respond to this fact. And there came a time when I responded by asking God to forgive my sins, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and by asking him to save me. And so at that moment, I gave my life to the Lord and became a child of God. Transformation and renewal of my mind resulted and is continual because of my relationship with Christ. We're reminded by Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Much of this transformation came through my study of God's word and came through prayer and allowing the Lord to speak to me through his word as I truly desire to follow him. So in turning away from the erroneous wisdom of people in peril, we're supposed to turn towards Jesus and what the word of God says. So Christ followers, those of you who accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your testimony is powerful. We're commanded to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your testimony is not just verbally witnessing the gospel message, it's also the way you live the gospel message, how you walk the walk, and how you walk it according to his word. And so I encourage you, read and study the Bible. We're reminded that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, so having these hard times should not be surprising. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, we're also reminded that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every work, especially during these hard times, perilous times, and dangerous times. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says to pray without ceasing. So, Christ followers, pray while you're standing in line at the store, the bank, the meal line, etc. Pray when it's time to praise him. 
Pray when you're hurting. Pray when you're making decisions that um, are, are pretty impactful. Uh, there have been times in my life where the Lord has led me to sacrifice personally, job, finance, time, in order to use me where he wants to use me, and it's been an honor that he would use an imperfect creature like me for these purposes. So Christ followers, serve the Lord both in church and out in the community. Serve by telling your family about Jesus. Mentor and help others as the Lord lead. Minister to those who are unlovely. That one's hard. Matthew chapter 2, verse 39 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Have fellowship with all the saints. Let your life be a living testimony that you love one another. So you may have been listening, and the thought of a relationship with the Lord may be new to you. This may be the first time that you've heard that everyone is a sinner in the need of a Savior. And so we have covered during this time that in the beginning, um, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they sinned, and um, they ate of the fruit of knowledge. That sin led to mankind being sinful. And it left us in a broken world, and it left us in a place to where we really need a Savior. And so, thankfully, God sent his son, Jesus, to earth. He was here 33 years. During the last years of his life on earth here, he walked and demonstrated ministry and showed us how to live and showed us that we really do need him. He was crucified. He rose three days later. He is now at the right hand of God. And the Bible does tell us that if you confess with your mouth and that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for our sins, you're saved. And so this is a personal decision for each person. And I would strongly recommend and encourage you to begin exploring what your relationship with the Lord is like. I can think in my own life that before Christ, I was a very angry individual. Everything made me angry. I was always blaming someone else for my problems. I was always looking for that negative um, situation, and I was always looking to accuse someone else. But then when I came to that realization that I needed a Savior, and when I yielded my life to Him, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and promised to follow him for the rest of my days, and allowed him to transform me through that process, that anger wasn't the hallmark of my life anymore. There was transformation that occurred. And the Lord continues to transform me as we walk day by day by day. And by following him and by living for him, we don't have perfect happiness or anything like that, but we have a deep and abiding joy in knowing that we have eternity with him. So if this is you and you haven't started a relationship with Christ, if you haven't asked him for your forgiveness, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. So with all eyes closed, let's bow our heads. And if you truly feel in your heart that, it, that you know that you are a sinner and that there is absolutely nothing that can save you at this moment in time, there is hope. As mentioned earlier, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And there is this gift of salvation that is available to you as long as you confess with your mouth and you realize that you are a sinner and that there is nothing you can do to change that. And that you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross as an atonement for those sins and that you are confessing Jesus as your Lord, you will be saved. 
And so I'd like to lead you in a prayer if that's where you are right now. Father God, I know that I need you. I know there is absolutely nothing else that I can do here on this earth to save myself. I need a Savior, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you to save me, Father God. Please save me, take control of my life, and lead me for the rest of my days so that way I can follow you and become more like you and that you can save me from my own problems and from everything that is going wrong. Father God, I do want to follow you, and I'm asking and trusting that you saved me so that way I can live the rest of my, my days for you. And I just lift this up to you, Father, and I ask this of you in your son's name. Amen. So for those of you, if you've just prayed this prayer, praise God, you're now a child of God and a brother or sister in Christ. Please contact us or someone you know in a Bible-believing, uh, Christ-following Christian, so that way they can have the honor of serving you and leading you and guiding you um, at the Lord's leading, of course, as you continue this Christian walk. If you're in the El Paso area, please visit us one Sunday so we can meet with you and pray with you. May God bless you all, and let's close in prayer. Father God, we just lift this up to you, and we ask that um, you take this time, that you take the words that were given, and that you um, put it into our hearts, and that you answer our heart cries where needed, and that you got to live the way you want us to live. We just ask that you take this message that you provided today, Father God, and that you inform us as we walk the walk in following you, and as we live our lives. Father God, we love you, we praise you, and we desire to serve you. And so we lift this up to you in your son's name.